1: So it is my pleasure today to welcome to the studio, Chris Painter, who is the president of North America with Logicor and business owner. Um, Chris, you've been a longtime friend. I'm honored to call you an advisor. We went from client relationship to friendship to advisor of our business, and it is a distinct pleasure to welcome you to our studio today and have you be a part of this process. Yeah, thanks, Mike. I'm excited. So, Chris, I'd love to, you know, start at, we'd like to start out with life experiences that have led you to who you are, what has molded you into the leader you are, into the person you are, and I'd love to talk just a little bit, kind of paint the picture where you're from, what led you to, into the U.S. and where you are today, just giving people a little story to kind of set the tone for our conversation. Okay, sure. Yeah, so I'm originally
0: from Canada. Um, started my business career uh, with an internship with Dow Chemical going back a lot of years in uh, finance and accounting. I realized pretty quickly that I'm not a transactional guy, but I love business. And uh, you know, ultimately, that's what
1: led me into the business field. So walk me through a little bit in terms of... Um... Are there individuals that encouraged you to get into the finance or to get into business? How did you know you liked business more than finance, and finance is a key part of business? So how did all of that come about? I don't think there was anybody in particular that encouraged me
0: to get in. I I looked at it as a very exciting lifestyle. I like the wheeling and dealing nature of things. I like the variety of people that you work with, the work that you do, the travel. So to me, it was a lot of those factors that really attracted me to the business
1: world. And with, throughout your career, you went, you s- mentioned you started with Dow Chemical and then you landed at an organization called Transfreight. Um, walk us through a little bit of your career progression inside that organization.
0: Yeah, sure. So um, just to connect and bridge the gap between Dow and, uh, and Transfreight, my last year with Dow in a part-time capacity, I worked in their materials management group, which really is where I got my first exposure to transportation and logistics and figured out pretty quickly that it was a, um, an area that was ripe with opportunity for efficiency, uh, really thinking about things differently. So when I graduated from my undergrad program, I made the decision that I was going to commit to transportation and logistics. Uh, if you remember back in in that time frame, back in the uh, late 90s, uh, Japanese manufacturing was taken, North America manufacturing by, by storm, storm. Yeah. whole um, just-in-time inventory concept. And so when I Picked the company I was going to go and work for, I, I very deliberately looked for one that was closely partnered or aligned with um, that Japanese manufacturing philosophy. And at the time that was Trans Freight 50-50 ownership with a big US company uh, and a large Japanese conglomerate. So that's that's where I started with them. Um, My first role, uh, nothing glamorous, frontline, supervisory, dispatching trucks, dispatching drivers, uh, and dealing with all the issues that that come with that. Um, I'd say my first big break from a career standpoint, and I attribute a lot of my later success in uh, my career, certainly with that organization, uh, came when the company president decided that he was going to get us ISO 9000 registered. And uh, I was probably six months into my career with the company. Uh, Nobody else really understood or wanted to touch that thing. Mm. And uh, I had both arms raised in the air. You know, put me in, coach. I I want this. And my rationale for doing that was I knew it was going to give me exposure to all facets of the business and not from a superficial uh, level. I was going to get in and understand processes, what works, what doesn't work, um, and then all the people. That go with that, and so for a guy that had aspirations of eventually running this company uh, or or some other company in the future, that
1: was a really really prime opportunity to do that. And and that raising your hands there led you to then become leader of that overall initiative and take promotion opportunities inside that organization? It it did, yeah. So um,
0: in addition to getting the exposure to project management, it was also uh, my first leadership role. And actually, I would say one of my more challenging leadership roles because I had no line authority. So my job was to get the entire company and all of the operating locations at the time, maybe we had 20 uh, or so spread out across US and Canada, uh, registered. And I was was given the opportunity to pick one representative from each group. So if you think about HR, finance, um, operations in Georgetown, Mm -hmm. Kentucky. So I had to do some interviewing and select people that I thought would help me achieve the goal for the team. Um, and then I probably underestimated the amount of effort it took when you don't have line authority and you're managing a project with people that all have full-time jobs that they, that they go back to. And then when you add into that the politics that goes with any of these big processes. Mm-hmm. Welcome uh, to Process leadership. improvements. Yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly.
1: You and I met uh, when you were, I believe, vice president of corporate development. You were just beginning to basically elevate that team and we were introduced to you and your organization at that time and it goes back many years Um, and watching you go through career progression from vp to chief development officer to then president then chairman of that organization so the climb that you made is quite substantial i think there's a story there's many stories inside of that what were some of the key learnings where did you know that the top position as possible? Or did you ever know that? Was it others elevating you because of your success?
0: Yeah, I think I always had the eye on the prize, so to speak. And that was the prize as I defined it was was running the organization. Um, I didn't really have a plan of how I was going to get from A to B. And certainly in our organization, there was nobody that was laying out uh, career paths. Um, There was no logical progression. So my approach was find opportunities, don't wait for somebody else to present it, um, and then throw everything you've got into it, and good things will happen. Um, So that was my general approach. And I'd say up until the point where you mentioned me taking over corporate development, my role in the business and What drove all of my opportunities for uh, career progression were all tied to fixing things. So if something was broken, I raised my hand and said, I want to go in and fix it. I'm going to get a new skill set. I'm going to get exposure to another part of the business, and I'm going to build my reputation internally as somebody who can get things done. Um, that corporate development role was a real switch. That was the first time where it wasn't about fixing something and it was about building something. And so trying to get my mind right on uh, actually defining a future state um, from something that didn't really exist was vastly different from more of what I would say the incrementalist
1: improvement approach to taking something that's broken and making it work. What a great learning. And and did you have... Individuals around you coaching you up to that, or how did you respond to that learning? Uh, I
0: I wish I could say that I had a a lot of people uh, in the organization. I think for for the company, it was a it was a new role. Um, As a business, we had grown for many many years. You know, at least our first twelve or thirteen years on the heels of uh, of Toyota and their success story. So we were one of the few companies in North America that adopted early the Toyota production system in transportation and logistics. So we didn't really have to get out and market. We didn't have to sell. People would come to us and knock on our door and say, hey, we read about you in this book we were reading about Toyota. And if you can do it for them, you might actually help us look more like Toyota. And so it was only after um, the lean logistics uh, concepts got to be more broadly adopted by other organizations that we had to say, hey, you know what, there are no more knocks on the door, we'd better get serious about figuring out how we're going to get out in the market and 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 you know proactively drive our growth strategy. And that's that's the point where I took that that responsibility.
1: Chris, there may be individuals listening that have a similar experience where they're looking at that next position, that CEO role. In your case, I think the uniqueness was that that role prior to you was really a rotational leadership position. So it wasn't being viewed necessarily as this I'm going to come in and make my mark and build my team and put the right resources to build the future state of the organization. It was a rotational role, like an acknowledgement of someone's success that they would be there for two to three years and then move on. What did it feel like walking into when you took that promotion? Cause you had a vision of what that role should be Mm -hmm. and could be. And, um, but had some culture change that you had to create throughout the organization.
0: Yeah. Well, I think the, um, the big shock for the organization as a whole was when you're in that rotational uh, leadership mindset or, or approach um, and to just to step back for a minute, it was our parent company that would assign an executive from their organization into our organization in that CEO role. And for the most part, it was, uh, it was a, a, a pretty large recognition um, and reward for the parent company staff to be assigned to this role. And so the, um, shock to our organization was they were used to getting people whose job it was really to maintain and almost finish out their th- that portion of their career in that role. And when I was put in, the expectation was to make some very dramatic change. Um, Our business was not in a very good condition at that point in time. And ultimately, that's why the parent company decided this needs to stop with rotation. We need to put somebody in here who's going to define a different future state and do whatever it takes to, to
1: get there. And evaluating the team, I know you know it's all about building the right team around you. What did you find when you walked into that state and that role, and what did you need to begin evaluating and getting into place from a leadership perspective or what that might have looked like?
0: Well, I think the leadership team as it was when I stepped into that role reflected the um, leadership strategy that we had had uh, up until that point. So we had Great people uh, in the organization, but I would say that they were more um, driven for incremental improvement. And at that stage in our life cycle as a business, we needed revolution instead of uh, you know uh, minor evolution. And uh, so it was uh, assessing the the team, and really we ended up making some pretty wholesale changes um, in the entire uh, executive suite, all the way down through um, director level,
1: and over and over. extended period of time to a degree, probably in a three-year time period of shifting the culture, shifting the leadership, setting the new direction?
0: Yeah, that's right. It was uh, it was a three-year journey. Um, we spent a lot of time focused on defining what it was we wanted as a business to accomplish, uh, what success would look like, uh, with the belief that even if we don't have the right people necessarily in all of the seats, uh, so to speak, if we defined the end condition that we were driving towards and how we were measuring success along the way, that we'd still have a pretty good, uh, darn good chance of, of getting there. Uh, over time, as we swapped out talent, got the right people in the right seats on the bus, um, that simply accelerated that progress towards the, the, the end state.
1: It's one of the most gratifying experiences for a company like ours to be a part of that visioning process, right? And to sit down with the leaders in place or the leaders who are setting the tone for the future and start mapping out the roles and the future desired leadership needs and experiences. Um, Can you share a little bit about the journey of defining the who, the what you're trying to achieve and the who you're going to achieve it with? And setting that new vision for the future for the listeners that may be experiencing some of that. You know, again, you just mentioned defining the future state's mission critical. But then how do you even begin the process of evaluating now who and how do we go about getting the right leadership team in place? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, so um, as you'll remember, we worked pretty extensively, or I did personally, with you and, and, and Mike Sr. And laying out what this organization should look like to accomplish these goals, um, defining what the various roles needed to be so that all of the the work got done. And we had leaders um, over each of the groups that That would would get the job done. Um, And then assessing the talent that we had in place today uh, against those new standards. And ultimately, that's what led to the the transition plan of um, who would stay, uh, who would need to go. And unfortunately, I guess, you know, there were some people we had to make tough decisions and exited the organization either by their decision or by ours. Uh, But in a lot of cases, they were simply uh, repurposed. They were put into roles that were more suited to their um, orientation. And Many of them thrived by being properly aligned with the role and expectations and had we left them and just changed their title or changed their position description, uh, you know disaster would have followed for for them and for us as a business.
1: It also created an opportunity for people who may not have you know you see in organizations that sometimes the individuals who quote unquote, aren't performing up to standard might be just miscasted and have another desire to take other roles, right? So I think you, we experienced hands raised that I'll take on that challenge, right? That's a new thing. I'd be honored. And then they flourish in that new environment. So not, you know, really evaluating the people before you begin making drastic change. Meanwhile, you also were able to assess the leadership gaps that you did have, and be able to get the right executives who had a similar vision and could align with that vision to help move the organization forward. Yeah, I,
0: I think it's a great point. And one of the things that um, I found really rewarding as we went through this, this, this whole journey was by really clearly defining the roles that we expected people to. Um, in different positions to perform, we were able to define the um, behaviors that they needed to exhibit and the skills, abilities, and experience that they needed to bring to the table in order to successfully do that. And what happened in the organization was we went from uh, an employee base that was driven to simply climb the ladder, so to speak. Um, You know, if I'm really good at this job, then I deserve the opportunity to be at the next level and potentially be the manager of the function that I'm coming out of, and Once we started to sit down and help people understand the difference between being an individual contributor and being a manager or being a director versus being a manager and what that meant from a shift in their focus, In a lot of cases, people opted out and said, you know what? That's not me. I enjoy getting things done, You know, kind of the fruit of my own hand labor um, versus getting things done through other people. So if that's what that job really looks like, then I need to find other ways to be gratified and feel rewarded in the individual Mm -hmm. contributor position Mm -hmm. that I'm in.
1: We talk a lot about the ambassador side of becoming a talent magnet and handling those types of transitions well, allow people to self-opt out. And help them realize that, wow, that wouldn't be best for me. I'm going to go find something, whether it's inside an organization or external. And it's a very seamless transition when it's handled that way, right? Because then they also know if they have friends or colleagues or peers that are looking for something that, well, you're the kind of talent that this organization I just left needs. And I know some of that took place, right? You had ambassadors driving referrals and talent to the organization as well. So it became very organic uh, referral source for great leaders. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're clear
0: about what it is you want, it's easy to articulate, it's easy for other people to understand, and it's easy for them to rally around it and and, and help you drive, drive success.
1: In terms of your own leadership development, I know there were a couple, at least a couple of pivotal times where you were beginning to evaluate how do I grow as a leader? But I believe where it really started was how do I help my organization continue to lift? And if we're gonna continue to have an organization that lifts, me as the CEO needs to lift. Um, I remember in, I think it was 2010. Um, we were I happened to be out in Colorado Springs working with a another client of ours and you were coming to Colorado Springs and we met up before you went into one of these leadership experiences. Could you share a little bit about that journey, what that was, what led you to get referred into that program? Sure. Yeah, that was my uh, Center for Creative Leadership
0: Experience, uh, CCL. Um, They have a program there. It's called uh, Leadership at the Peak. Uh, If I remember correctly, it's a um, five-day, 24-hour-a-day, extremely intensive program with a lot of upfront preparation assessments, um, 360 assessments, uh, peers, bosses – in my case, it was my board – People that report to me, people outside the organization that we work closely with, customers, um, as well as a, a lot of different—I um, would call it—psychological profiling type assessments. So a lot of that stuff that happens in advance, and then you're you're really immersed with these. Uh, And and, in my case, uh, great people, CEOs from lots of different industries. We had uh, a three-star general from the Army, one from the Air Force. We had uh, um, heads of very, very large retail um, clothier, um, and then privately held and even some non-for-profit. So great, diverse group of people. And we were all there for the same reason. We were all running our organizations, uh, recognized that there uh, were areas for us to improve, and the best way to do that was to get together with other people in the same situation and lean on an organization like CCL that does this for a living um, to really help us understand how do we stack up um, relative to, so there's a lot of benchmarking against uh, CEOs and um, their, their broader data set. Um, how, how do we stack up and where are the areas that we might want to look to improve um, and, and invest in ourselves? Were there going in, did you know what to expect? Honestly, I had no idea. I was running 100 miles an hour at that point, and I knew that I needed to um, focus on developing me for, like you said earlier, my benefit, but also the benefit of the organization. And uh, so I, I just knew that that was me carving out some time and some financial resources to make that investment. But going in, I really had no idea the full magnitude of the impact that that program would ultimately have on me and,
1: and my future direction. We just came off of hosting an event that was all framed around leading yourself, right? If you're going to lead others well, you need to be able to lead yourself well. And we would argue and that there's many leaders who don't do a good job of leading themselves well. Um, when you went through the assessment process, you know, I assume they look at your professional skills and capabilities your relationship and personal skills and capabilities, your future potential, what kind of potential you would have and show you blind spots, weaknesses, as well as strengths. Yeah, the good you old walk, Jahari window. <laughs> yep. can, can you walk through a little bit about that experience? What were you surprised by, by some of the outputs that came out of a five-day intensive 24-hour program like this?
0: I think one of the big takeaways from me was not trying to be good at everything. And um, that was interesting because I, I find myself being uh, more of a perfectionist than, than I now realize I should be. And what they helped me realize was what, what are my greatest strengths and how do those positively affect um, my contribution as a, as a leader in, in business? Um, what are my greatest weaknesses and how do those affect my ability to be a great leader in the organization? And my assumption going into that Uh, Part of the process was, okay, now we're going to put together an action plan to make your weaknesses your strengths and, and off you go. And they were pretty adamant about the fact that as long as you understand what your weaknesses are, and they're not excessively detrimental... You can get a lot more value and your organization can get a lot more value by really playing to your strengths and surrounding yourself with resources that play to your weaknesses. And so it's that self-awareness and realizing that you you can get a lot more bang for your buck by focusing on the things that you're good at and that you're passionate about. And you just just can't let the things you're not good at or not passionate about um, negatively affect the business. And that's
1: all about your team. The self-awareness piece that you just mentioned, again, is some listening that have great self-awareness, others who probably could benefit greatly from having more self-awareness, right? And it sounds like pointing – bringing those to highlight in a way where you're looking at peer groups and assessment and, um, you know, some are driven by data and being able to experience the real-time 360 reviews and psychological assessments. But did you become more self-aware out of that process?
0: Absolutely. Some some of the stuff that was really eye opening for me surrounded uh, what do I really enjoy? Um, When you're running fast um, and things are happening quickly around you, it's it's easy to get wrapped up in just getting the job done, Uh, but to really step back and reflect on, you know, where do I get my energy? Um, Where do I get my passion? Uh, What makes me feel like the greatest person I can be? That comes from understanding a combination of what you're good at and what you really enjoy. And so after a lot of reflection and discovery of things I enjoy and and those that I don't, that led to a lot of the action plan, uh, action planning
1: that I had uh, coming out of it. I remember one of the takeaways that has still stuck with me today, many years later, just from your experience of doing that, is the white space, right? I, I felt a, a um, leadership shift where all of a sudden you were talking more and more about white space and being able to, you know, you mentioned 100 miles an hour. I would say you may have been going 152 miles an hour and that opportunity to slow down for a second and and coming out of that experience, white space Where are your priorities, Um, the relationships? Can you talk a little bit about that, the relationship component, priority shift, did any D- dramatically come out of that experience
0: yeah i think what you're getting at is the uh, the balance equation mm-hmm. and they focus a lot of, of of time on that in the in the leadership at the peak and it's looking at your focus on personal so you as a personal and individual um, you as a uh, member of your business uh, member of your community they're looking at your values and spirituality and and things like that and you know each one of us did an assessment at the beginning of where we thought we were. Then after you go through some probing exercises, you really start to get a better picture of what that balance, or in my case, imbalance, uh, really looks like. Um, And so that was uh, when we talk about actions that I took coming out, I made a very, very conscious and deliberate effort to rebalance myself. Um, My drive to run an organization um, at the time, Transfreight. And then once I got there, throwing, continuing to throw myself entirely into running it caused a severe imbalance from most other things in my life. And so I had a lot of energy coming out of there devoted to creating a little bit more balance.
1: And, and ultimately, as they said it would, it made me a better leader. Absolutely. So, in tra- transferring into that, your experience of working in a global organization, how many facilities at that time did Transferate have around? Uh, I
0: believe we were around 32 facilities uh, Canada, US, and Mexico. Um, and then I had responsibility to contribute to the overall uh, strategic direction of the group
1: of companies. So, we had uh, Asia, South America, uh, and Europe. So at the – you know again, the leadership at the peak concept, think about it from a – those listening, from a professional standpoint, um, sometimes you get to the top of the peak and recognize that there are other areas that we could have um, experienced in the valleys or along the journey, and there's others outside of our corporate relationships um, that matter too, right? Again, I remember a discussion, Chris, that you and I had where you were like, you know, I'm going to make a conscious effort to have breakfast with my family. Um, and who knows how long that had been before you had since you have had that experience yep. and it became a very even a schedule change like a life change um, and I have benefited greatly from that experience that you had and I think you've those that are around you have experienced that you know that's a part of your coaching that's a part of your give back of helping people recognize that there's priorities beyond just, professional success and getting to the peak. And I assume CCL has that life-changing experience on many throughout the world it, with it this does. program.
0: It does. It our, our group, I believe there were 20 of us. I still stay in touch with a number of them. They are scattered all over the world, all industries. Mm. And uh, every single one of them would tell you that it was, it was absolutely life-changing.
1: Mm. So you go from corporate executive to entrepreneurialism, Um, Walk us through that experience because now you are part owner and CEO and chairman of this new uh, initiative here in in the US. Uh, Can you walk us through that journey and experience what led you to do that and uh, what you're doing now?
0: Sure. So I um, did a lot of soul searching and reflection uh, on what I was accomplishing uh, in leading freight at the time and realized that, uh, you know, while I could do it and I could do well financially um, and live a pretty comfortable lifestyle, uh, probably right through to retirement, uh, it wasn't it wasn't driving the same level of passion that I'd been accustomed to the rest of my career. Um, And so as I started to think about what would need to change in order for me to regain that drive and passion, um, you know, there was... decision to be made, a big decision. Uh, So I sat down and using some of my more engineering-oriented background, I had to have structure to that decision because the universe of options, when you make a decision to leave an organization, the universe of options is huge. Uh, And it's very easy to either get wrapped up in so many options and not nail one down, so you end up almost paralyzed by um, options, or you jump in to the first thing that comes along. And I had seen other people in both of those camps, and I didn't want to be another. So I sat down and I used a tool that I've used for years, uh, really simple, it's a decision matrix, uh, where I forced myself and actually my family was very heavily involved uh, to define what are the things that my next career choice had to um, accomplish or had to involve, so those I would call the musts, um, and then what are all the other things the wants, the the relative wants, mm-hmm. um, so that as I looked at opportunities um, either that came to me or that I proactively went out and, and sought out, I could stack these things up um, against each other and figure out which one which one worked. Um, and the way the process works is if it doesn't meet a must criteria, it doesn't matter how good all of the other aspects of it are, you've got to be willing to kick it to the curb. And, uh, and, and once it's met the musts, then you start looking at the, the relative wants. Um, simple examples of, of that, a relative want might be the monetary side. So you could make a million dollars, you could make $100,000, you know, that's a relative number. There's not a must in that. Uh, for me, a must at the time was uh, stay in Cincinnati. I wasn't willing to uproot my family. We were doing very well in this area. Um, And so that was a must on the list.
1: In terms of that process, did you surround yourself with other advisors? Were you doing all of this fairly isolated in your own and and with your family, not isolated without your family, but in your own personal sphere? Did you involve mentors or other advisors?
0: Yeah, great question. So um, in in terms of building the decision matrix, that was 100% me and my family. Um, The looking at options and uncovering options and assessing those options. That was um, with the help of a lot of close friends, um, advisors, uh, business partners um, uh, uh, from over the years. And uh, they, they provided an enormous amount of valuable input into the different things that were out there. And for me, what it came down to is, am I going to go and join another company um, that offers some things that I don't have where I am now, but Basically, work for the man. Um, am I going to leave and start something from scratch and build it? Or am I going to leave and join another organization um, that's already established, but that's willing to bring me on in a, uh, with an equity interest? Those were the three major categories of options. And then, you know, within each, um, over time, uh, there were many sub options mm-hmm. to, to, to consider.
1: And that's led you to now leading another organization and growing it and building it. And with a very wide breadth of customer base and industry, um, can you walk us through what that experience of now, and it was smaller than it was when you joined than it is today, which is why you came in and became a part owner and elevating this organization. Can you walk us through a little bit about that journey. Yeah, sure. So the original founder of the company, it's it's Logicor, the original
0: founder um, and I worked together at Transfreight. Um, interestingly, he was one of the uh, members of that ISO 9000 team I mm-hmm. talked about wow. early on. Uh, he had left the company in... Uh, 2005 to start Logicore out of Canada, and uh, obviously I stayed on at Transfreight. Um, over the years, we'd had lots of discussions about: um, Do I buy, or do we look at um, Transfreight acquiring Logicore? Because they were driving growth, they were nimble, um, they were flexible. Uh, They were getting things done that we just couldn't seem to do at uh, Transfreight. And so they were a very, very logical candidate for me to look at um, in that uh, third category that I talked about earlier, joining another already successful organization, but really bringing my talents to the table to try and escalate growth. Um, And so when I joined them, uh, my primary priority was to do what they're already doing, but on a larger scale uh, in the U.S., and, and that's what we've been doing.
1: And I believe, you know, any good leader has a, a following of talent, right? And you were able to gather the right team to really elevate this organization and people who you believed in and believed in you and rallying that vision cry and growing an organization. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, you, you recognize good talent. They do good things for you. And you do whatever you've got
1: to do to keep them on your team, regardless of which organization you're with. The one dynamic from an outside advisor's perspective, uh, having been on that side of the equation for you, having been one of the individuals who filled out your 360 um, back again many years ago, um, that is um, in midst of um, growth is chaos. but you can set a tone to still have fun, right? and to enjoy the experience. And it's been a very enjoyable experience. Uh, we also talk about the impact that a corporate leader has on their advisors and the impact the advisors have on bringing value to the corporate leader that I believe we've all grown tremendously because of that experience together. Um, so I want to thank you for for that. And, uh, and for those listening, the impact we can all have on those who support us, not just internally, but externally, and getting people together to really buy into the vision, right? We speak a lot about allowing a company like ours to understand the vision, understand the values at a very deep, innate level to help you get to where you need to get to, right? Versus a surface relationship. It's never been a surface relationship and I appreciate that very much. Yeah, I think
0: that's a really important point. It's getting away from the transactional buy, Um, You know, so, you know, in our specific relationship in the early days, we're talking about recruiting. Mm -hmm. And uh, we we did work with the corn fairies of the world, lots of other organizations. And I think the big difference in working with you guys that that helped us enormously was understanding what it is we're trying to accomplish um, and not just looking at it as a placement. Uh, for for you, so we had that continuity over time. As even our direction changed over time, you guys were always in lockstep and knew where we were going next, not just where we were at that point. And when you're placing talent, that's extremely critical, especially right. at the executive level.
1: Yeah, and building an organization that's fast growing, uh, it's mission critical part yeah. of the objective. So if we're ever experiencing frustrations, that's a good place to evaluate. That not just do my internal team align, but how do my external teams align and how do we build the whole team, a very holistic team to accomplish a goal and mission uh, and objective and enjoy the process as well. Yeah, absolutely, and the external relationships are so critical because um, when when
0: you're at the top, when you're leading the organization, there are just discussions you can't have uh, internally with with staff, um, and so having a strong network of outside resources that are in the, along the ride of the journey with you and understand um, what you're trying to accomplish, I think is is really critical. And for
1: me personally, it's it's fueled a lot of the growth and success that 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 we've had. Well, Chris, thank you so much for this time. I highly value the opportunity to sit down with you today and talk about leadership and life experiences and, and journeys. And thank you for the insights and value that you shared for our listeners today as well. It's been a real pleasure. All right. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate the opportunity. Do you
0: want to make sure you're getting the most out of your current and your prospective talent? Go to Talent slash talent and find out the 10 questions you should be asking yourself to stay ahead of the game.
1: The Talent Magnet Institute Podcast is made possible by Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Sound Press, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine and myself, your host, Mike Sipple Jr. We are recorded in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We're supported by our listeners from all around the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is part of the Talent Magnet Institute and Centennial. You can reach me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Mike Sipple Jr. Find us in your favorite podcast app, or you can visit us online at talentmagnetinstitutepodcast.com to subscribe, leave a review, and share with a colleague.